All right, well, I am really excited about this series, and uh, I also understand how difficult of a series it's going to be. Uh, We're going to talk about some subjects, some issues um, that maybe are not talked a lot about in a church building. Uh, They're not talked a lot about if you call yourself a Christian. Uh, They're going to be things that are difficult to deal with, and it's going to cause us to wrestle with some things. And it also is going to need, uh, we are going to need God to help us to confront these things and to be brave in these areas of our lives. I think they're super important that we don't take any more time to, to not deal with these and to not look at them. These are going to be important for us to do. And as I thought about being brave, I thought about some of those things that, that really take bravery. And I thought, you know, I could never sit on the edge of an airplane and jump out. Anybody who would say they would go skydiving? A few people? Wow, you, you guys are, are brave. Um, uh, bungee jumping, no thank you. I'd probably jump out of a plane before I uh, bungee jumped. Uh, but those things are crazy. Uh, I had a kid in my youth group in California. His name was Cody. And he went into the military, went into the Marines. And uh, while he was in the Marines, his Humvee was, uh, was hit. And uh, he lost his leg and he messed up his arm and his face a little bit. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, um, Cody began climbing. He began climbing, and he, he decided he was going to climb El Capitan in Yosemite. I don't know if you've ever heard of El Capitan in Yosemite. It's a, a place that a lot of climbers climb, and we had pictures, but it looks like we're having, having trouble. Uh, but this is what happens when you climb El Capitan. Uh, you can't climb it in a day. So you literally sleep on a, on a bed up in the sky. So you can look at this. You can find pictures of these people sleeping on these mattress-looking things way up in the sky, and that takes massive amounts of bravery. I also found this most dangerous trail in the world, and uh, it's in China, and uh, it's basically boards that are stapled together, literally, and if we get that, we'll, we'll throw these pictures up, but they're these boards, and it was built by monks and nuns, and uh, here we go. That is the trail there on uh, the left are those little planks, right? Stapled together and there's change. I don't, I'm not sure what happens if someone's coming the other direction, um, but that looks scary and, and looking face down. Uh, this takes bravery. Go back to the picture before if you can, just so they get a visual of it. So here's Cody, and uh, that's him high above the ground, you know, waking up the next morning to, uh, to climb. Massive amounts of bravery or stupidity, whatever you want to look at, but uh, bravery, right? Now, for some of you, these subjects we're going to talk about over the next six weeks, some of you might say, I'd rather jump out of a plane than deal with that. I'd rather do something that seems crazy than to actually deal with some of those things. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the idea of dealing with conflict in relationships. Most people don't want to do that. Most people don't want to deal with the conflict that's around them in their marriage, at work, with their kids, with extended family. We just want to avoid conflict. But what if we were brave enough to actually deal with conflict? And we have a, a, a lady who's going to speak next week uh, who travels the, the world helping people deal with conflict in lots of different ways, and she's been really instrumental in my life. Don't miss it. Bring someone. But it's going to take you being brave to actually deal with conflict that's in your life. And then the next week, we're going to look at this thing that none of us want to look at and none of us want to talk about, and that's this subject of sin. And not just sin, but we're going to take it even deeper. We're going to look at the problem of addiction. We're going to look at addiction. 
We're going to look at the addiction that you may have, addiction that might be in your family, but we're going to talk about addiction. And even as I say that, some of you are like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure I'll be here this week, that week. <laughs> right? Because we, look, we don't want to have some of those conversations. We don't want to talk about those things. And so there's this stirring in you that says, I just don't know if I want to, to deal with it. And we're going to look at the idea of suffering. Of suffering. How do we suffer well? How do we make it through those things that are causing us to suffer? And then we're going to look at the subject of, of being judgmental or judging or prejudice or racism. We're going to look at that subject. And at the end, which may be the most uh, dangerous and needing the, the most, um, being the most brave, is we're going to look at the idea of what it would look like if we were really generous people. Uh, not, just, not what you immediately think about just financially giving to a church, but what if we just lived lives that were, were generous? What if we could actually be brave and face these things head on and believe that God will be with us and that there could actually be something good that comes out of those things? What if? And we went with this theme of this idea of super, superhero. This, uh, I love this picture of this kid who seems to be staring down uh, something that he needs to do. And so for us, we're going to have to take this mindset on, like, it may not be good, we might be afraid, we may not feel like we have the ability, but we know what's in front of us and we know we have to, to deal with it. And so this week, we're going to look at the idea of doubt. Of doubt. What if we could begin to wrestle with and deal with our doubt? Now, I'm not going to name a bunch of things that probably causes you to doubt. In the sense of, I'm, I'm going to name them, but I'm not going to necessarily try and solve those problems that you have. I just can't. I, there's no way I can spend that much time. We're going to look at, in the first of the year, doing a series, and we'll cover some of those things. But, but that's not what today is about. Uh, today is going to be more, what if we actually begin to see what it would look like to deal with doubt? What does it look like to deal with doubt? And more importantly, how does God deal with those who doubt? How does God deal with those who doubt? Uh, and because I know that we all have it, right? We all, we all doubt. We all have doubts. No matter if you call yourself a, a Christian or not, uh, you have doubts. Uh, you have doubts in, in all kinds of, of things. Uh, I, I know that, that you have doubts because of all different reasons. Uh, this doesn't matter if you're new to church. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for a long time. It, I don't think those things matter. I think there's seasons, there's periods in your life where, where you doubt. And, and I know that not all people here would, would say they're followers of Jesus. Um, but you have faith in something. You have faith in something. You've either put your faith in yourself, you've put faith in science, you've put faith in other people, you've put faith in your good works, you, You've, you've put your faith in something. And so all of us here are faith people. We're, we're believers. We're believers in something. And so I, I think that for many of us, that there's been this doubt that's crept in, and we haven't dealt with it. Even so much so, some of you have doubted yourself out of believing in God. Right? We'll, we'll look back at some point and think, man, I feel like I'm far from God. And, and if we had a conversation, there'd be several reasons why you may feel like you're far away from God. One of our actions often make us or remove ourselves from God. But the other thing I think is our doubt. We'll, we'll look back and think, man, I just started doubting and I didn't deal with it and I didn't feel like I could share, right? Because I think the church has often done a disservice and we said, well, you just got to believe, you just got to believe, you just got to believe. And so when you had any doubts that crept in, you just felt like, well, I can't tell anybody. I can't tell anybody I'm struggling with this or this happened in my life and because of that I'm doubting. 
And so for a lot of you, you've probably went your whole life having these doubts and never feeling like you could be honest about them. You could never deal with them. Pope Francis uh, says this, Who among us, everybody, everybody, who among us has not experienced insecurity, loss, and even doubts on their journey of faith? Everyone. We've all experienced this. Me too. It's been a part of the journey of faith. It's a part of our lives. This should not surprise us because we are human beings marked by fragility and limitations. We are all weak. We all have limits. Do not panic. We all have them. Pope Francis says, look, there's been moments in his life where he had doubts. And that's okay. It's okay. And so let's just be honest. Can we just be honest and say, look, there's things that have happened in your life and in my life that cause us to doubt. There's things that happen that have been out of your control that you wish wouldn't have and you begin to doubt. Maybe you've lost someone who's been close to you. There's been this unexpected death or something happened and you begin to doubt the existence of God. Maybe doubt because you're like, man, I don't know if I can really believe that the Bible is true. It's an old book. Is it really real? Can I really trust it? And so we begin to have doubts basically because everything I'm going to teach out of, we're not sure we can fully believe it. I mean, how can we really talk about God being good and then stare at the face of suffering? Right? We see what's happening and as we prayed about of what's happening in, in Syria. How can we see those things and think, man, is God really good? God says he's good, but I don't know if I can trust it. And so we begin to doubt. We doubt when things don't seem fair. We, we doubt because of emotional experience or a traumatic experience. We doubt because God doesn't answer our prayers like we want him to. That these are all things that can stir doubt in us. The sin in our lives. You doubt that you're saved, that you doubt that you're forgiven. You've prayed for forgiveness and salvation over and over and over, and, and you always wonder, did it really work? Did it really take? Did I say it the right way? And so maybe you find yourself doubting that. Maybe it's a fear that you have. You doubt that anything can really change. Like, let's just be honest, and, and let's just lay this out and say that many of us have have wrestled with doubt, if not all of us. And it can happen at any place of this journey of faith. Any place. Uh, Mother Teresa, who I consider to be uh, a saint, uh, a lot of her letters came out after she died. And if you know Mother Teresa, she took care of the poorest of poor. She touched people that no one would touch. She, she did amazing things. And you would think that she had this massive amount of faith and that everything was, was perfect for her. But this is what she wrote. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I can't explain. Such deep longing for God and repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal, saving souls, holds no attraction. Heaven means nothing. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything. And you sense this deep pain and doubt in Mother Teresa. In Mother Teresa. So what do we do? What do we do with the doubt that we've experienced? How do we, how do we deal with the doubt in our life? Billy Graham even said this, doubts are a normal part of life. We doubt things on earth, so it's easy to doubt things of God. And look, I have doubts. I have doubts. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm not Billy Graham. 
but I'm sitting in front of you today preaching, and I want you to know that there's times that I doubt. I can remember sitting in a hospital room and, and hearing the doctor tell Heather and I that the, that the baby that uh, we were hoping to have wasn't going to make it. And I remember him saying, look, go home and don't do anything in a couple days. We'll come back and maybe everything will be okay. And I mean, I have never prayed like I did in those days. And I remember, God, you've got to come through. You've got to come through. And I remember going back and they do the test and we lost the baby. Oh man, I remember this. They call it the dark night of the soul. Just this, this longing that God would have done something. And I doubted. I doubted. And here's what I know. I didn't talk about that with many people. I mean, I can't, I can't let people know that, that I doubt. I can't let people know that I struggle and I have fears that God's not going to come through and I read scripture and I'm like, man, it's so hard for me to believe at times that I have doubts. And so what do we do? What do we do? So how are we going to deal with it? And more importantly, how does God deal with those people who doubt? We're going to do uh, kind of a quick case study on uh, three guys in the Bible who dealt with doubt. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There should be one around you that looks like this. I would really encourage you to use the Bible today, to use your smartphone, uh, to take notes, to do something that will help you remember this. But we're going to look at three stories, and uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to kind of explain a few things as we go through these uh, three stories. And then I think there's four things that we have to do when we begin to deal with our doubt. All right, the first one we'll throw on the, uh, the screen here. Matthew 11, 1 through 11. There's going to be a guy that's talked about in this. His uh, name is John. This is John the Baptist. This is different than the John who wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, this is different than John the Beloved, the Disciple. Uh, this is John the Baptist. This is the cousin of Jesus. Okay? Matthew 11, 1 through 11. It says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Okay, so we have the cousin of Jesus who in the Old Testament was written about John the Baptist, that he was going to come and he was going to prepare the way for people for Jesus. That before Jesus was even really doing any of his ministry, John is is baptizing people, and he's like, this is great that I'm baptizing you, but one is coming far greater than me. There's someone who's coming far greater than me, and so he begins to prepare the way, and he's instructing people to watch for Jesus to come. At one point, Jesus walks by, it's at the Sea of Galilee, and John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist had no doubt who who Jesus was. But then things go really badly for John the Baptist. Uh, he's arrested, and this young girl wants John the Baptist's head on a platter, and so John finds himself in prison. He finds himself in prison, prison emotionally alone, physically alone, and he begins to wonder, all right, is Jesus really who he said he was? And when we doubt, we kind of wrestle with these two areas when we doubt, and we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it, and is it true? When you doubt, it's probably one of those areas. Is it really worth it? I think that's what John's asking here. All right, I got to find out if Jesus is really the one who was to come or should we be looking for someone else because it doesn't feel worth it right now. And not only does it feel worth it, it's I don't know if it's true. So he sends these people to go ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone 
else? Should I just go somewhere else? Should I look for something else? What, what should I do? In verse 4, this is uh, how we often would look at it. Go and tell John that he's a fool and there should have never been any doubt. Let him know how disappointed I am in him. That's not what it says, okay? If you had your Bible looking at it, you would, uh, you would know that's not what it says. But I think that's often how we, we feel like God's going to approach us when we begin to question and to doubt. But here's how Jesus actually replied. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news, good news is preached to the poor. Go tell John everything that's going on. Tell John everything that's happening because Jesus is come. Verse 6. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So the disciples leave to go back to tell John these things. But then Jesus takes this opportunity to talk about John the Baptist. It says this. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's and king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. So he's talking about John here. John is this prophet that, that Jesus is talking about. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John is full of doubt. John is full of questions. And he goes to Jesus. He sends someone to Jesus and says, look, I don't know if you're the one I should be looking for. And in this moment, Jesus responds in a couple ways. Go tell John everything that's happening. But then as they leave, he begins to then give credit to who John is. He actually makes the statement, there is no man greater who's been born of woman than of John, than John is. John is one of the greatest men to ever walk the earth. And we find John in prison, full of doubt, asking himself, is it worth it? Is it true? And I think this happens because of the situation that he's been put in. I mean, he's been making these bold claims, he's been trying to live his life a certain way, and now he finds himself completely alone. And I'm guessing that you've probably found yourself there. That, that maybe God's called you to do something and you take those steps of faith and you look back and you think, all right, I feel like I'm completely alone. Things are not working out how I thought they would. And you begin to doubt and you begin to question. But he dealt with this doubt in a very specific way and he says, go, I got to go find this directly from Jesus. Is Jesus the one I've been looking for? And then we see how Jesus responds. He responds full of love. He responds full of love and sends him back and says, encourage John. And then he encourages the people. and says, look, here's a man who's doubted, but there's no one greater than he. All right, let's look at another one. Matthew 14, 27 through 31. Matthew 14, 27 through 31. So we see John the Baptist, who was chosen and was talked about hundreds of years before to prepare the way he doubted. Now we find the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they're in a boat. Uh, they've left Jesus. Jesus left the disciples and said, all right, I've got to be on my own for a while. Uh, the disciples are out on the, the water. And while they're out on the water, they begin to see this figure coming towards them. And they're afraid. And they believe it's a ghost. And here we go. 
verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then you have Peter, verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus says, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter's like, I'm not sure. If it's really you, then tell me to come. Tell me to get out of the boat and tell me to come and meet you. And, and Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, I, I, I'm a visual person, and I like to paint a picture and imagine what this would have looked like. Like, I wonder if Peter immediately regretted the request, right? Like, he probably wishes he would have said something else to prove that it was really Jesus, but, but, but Peter hangs his feet over a boat. And can you imagine the massive amount of faith it took for him to actually step out on the water? Can you, imagine that? Can you imagine the disciples saying, I don't know if this is a good idea, Peter. But, but Peter heard Jesus say, come. And Peter, full of faith, steps out on the water and begins to walk towards Jesus. Verse 30, but, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, Why'd you doubt? Why did you doubt? When he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. It's the middle of the night, and, and this massive amount of faith that Peter has steps out on the boat, but then circumstances change. He actually got on the water and got in the midst of the mess, so to, say, so to speak. He feels the wind on him. He feels the waves crashing around him, and he begins to sink. And what happens is, is he takes his focus and he takes his attention off of Jesus. He begins to no longer pay attention to the one who called him to come and the one who would help him walk on the water, but he begins to look at his circumstances. Because of that, he begins to doubt. And so again, for many of us, we, we begin to look at our circumstances, we begin to look at our situations, and begin to question God's faithfulness and his goodness when we're just really beginning to pay more attention to the circumstances around us. He took his eyes off of Jesus. Peter has this doubt, and, and in his doubt, he begins to sink. He says, Lord, save me. Save me. And I love this. Immediately, immediately, Jesus doesn't let Peter sink for a few moments. He doesn't let Peter think about what he's doubting. He doesn't let Peter go underwater, and then as Peter thinks that he's dying, Jesus saves him. In the moment that Peter doubts and begins to sink, he says, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down and immediately catches him. And in the midst of catching him, and in the midst of him doubting, says, you have little faith. Why'd you doubt me? Why'd you lose trust? Why did you not believe that I was going to be with you and protect you and save you? Peter doubts. Now, I don't know if you know about, uh, much about this guy, Peter. Uh, Peter, later on, after Jesus is arrested and he's being crucified and brutally beaten, uh, Peter denies knowing Jesus. Just denies even knowing him, denies even being with him. And then after the, the resurrection and, and Jesus comes back to Peter, Jesus encourages Peter and says, look, my church, th this movement that's going to take place around the world for centuries to come, that we find ourselves here, it's going to be built on you. 
you who have doubted, you who denied even knowing me, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. All right, third one. Uh, this guy even has a nickname because of it. This one maybe is the most familiar. And this is uh, the disciple named Thomas. So doubting Thomas. So Jesus has been arrested. And when he's arrested, all the disciples flee. They all abandon him. And they all begin to question, was this true? Was this worth it? And so they all abandon Jesus. Jesus goes to a cross and he dies. And, and which is great. He dies for you and me. He dies for our forgiveness. He dies for anyone who chooses to accept that. But, but it doesn't end there. He comes back to life. That's what changes everything for us. And that's what changes everything for the disciples is that Jesus is alive. And so Jesus is alive and he begins to interact with people and he engages with people. He has meals with people and he encounters the disciples all but Thomas. All but Thomas. So John 20, 24 through 29. It says this. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So all the disciples get to see Jesus but Thomas. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. These people have seen Jesus. And Thomas says, sorry, I can't believe it. I can't believe it until I experience it for myself. We've all experienced something like this. Like you can hear someone talk about something, but until you experience it for yourself. But you've never seen the ocean. If you've seen video or pictures of ocean, that's nothing until you actually put your feet in it and you have the waves crash and you see the never-ending ocean. You, you can hear all about it, but until you experience it, or if you've had the, uh, the chance to be at the Grand Canyon and, and stand at the South Rim and you can hear the echo and you feel the breeze coming across the canyon and it looks like a painting. Like, I can tell you that, you can see pictures, but until you stand there, it just won't make sense. It's the same thing when I do weddings and I, and I look at marriages and we do premarital counseling and I, I go through a bunch of stuff and I'm like, look, we're going to talk about this stuff, but, but let's talk in six months. Right? Let's, let's talk about these things down the road when you really begin to start to experience married life. Then it will make sense. Or when you have kids. Like, people can give you all kinds of tips and people can tell you what it's going to be like to be a parent, but until you have a child... Like, you, you think your child will never throw a tantrum in a store, right? Like, not my kid. And then they do it, and you don't know what to do, right? And so, until you've experienced it, well, well here's Thomas. Thomas is like, that's great that you've experienced it, but I, I need to experience it for myself. I, I just can't believe it. Verse 26, just the first part. A week later. I mean, can you imagine Thomas? For a week, he's got to deal with the other disciples who have seen him. Can, can you imagine how the doubt just grew for Thomas? Like he said, I want to see it. It wasn't that he said he didn't want to see it, that he was done with it. He said, I want to see it. I want to feel it for myself. A week goes by with nothing. It says a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put into my side. Stop doubting and believe. If I'm Thomas, I'm like, you just appeared in the room. I'm good. Uh, I, don't really have to, uh, I don't really have to do it. But, but here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus knew what Thomas needed. He knew what Thomas needed. And he doesn't start off with the, why didn't you believe the disciples? He didn't start by condemning Thomas. He says, Thomas, I know what you need. I know what you need to believe. Here, come, come look at him. 
No, no Thomas, you wanted to put your hand there? You, you do it. You, you feel it. Right? And so he says, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and start to put your trust in me completely. Now, it, it doesn't start there with these guys. It doesn't start with Jesus condemning them about their doubt. He, he meets them where they are in their doubt. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, us, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we have these, these really pillars of our faith. Thomas, Peter, John the Baptist, who all doubt, who, who write, who are a part of the, the Bible, who doubted. And it wasn't left out. It, it was included. And so for you and I, we have to say, all right, when we doubt, what do I do? When I have these doubts and I'm in situations and I'm in circumstances and I wonder if God's really going to come through for me, is this really true? Is this really worth it? What do we do? How do we deal with it? Really quickly, four things. Number one, this is, I think, really important, and it's not crazy creative, but doubt's normal. Doubt's normal. I think this is freeing. This is freeing because what happens is we don't feel alone in our doubt. We don't have to feel like we have to hide it, that we can't tell someone that we're close to, that we can't find someone who is maybe farther along in their journey with, with God, that we could say, look, this is where I'm doubting. Can you, can you pray for me? Can you help me? You're not weird if you doubt. You're not unspiritual if you doubt. You're not a second-class citizen to, to Jesus if you doubt. Doubting is normal. And there's all different levels to your doubt, I know that. All different levels. And you have to deal with it differently depending on the, the, the amount of doubt that you have. If we want to look at it in the sense of uh, water, some of you doubt it's like a puddle. Like every once in a while you wrestle with something and you're okay and your faith doesn't really waver with it and you just kind of jump through puddles and it's no big deal. Some of you it's like the river and you feel the current and you know the other side, you know how to get there, you know what you need to do and you're going to be okay, you see the end is there, but, but then some of you it's like the ocean. Some of you are drowning in your doubt, you're drowning in your doubt. You feel like it's never-ending. You're, you're barely treading water, and you don't know what to do. And first of all, just understand that it's normal. It's normal. Second thing, that doubt doesn't disqualify. Your doubt does not disqualify you. Thank goodness, right? It doesn't disqualify you from being used by God by doing something in your life. It doesn't disqualify you. Uh, God isn't waiting to take away, as some of you believe, He's not waiting to take away your forgiveness the moment you say, gosh, I'm really struggling with this. I don't know what I believe. When you doubt and you wonder, is it true? Is it worth it? It doesn't disqualify you. And here's how I know that. It's not my, this is not my opinion. That's why I wanted to look at three totally different stories in the scriptures. This is what Jesus does. This isn't just me saying, well, I think it doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't. At least it didn't John the Baptist. It didn't Peter. And it didn't Thomas. I don't believe that our doubts will disqualify us. The third thing, and this is where it gets really important. So the first two are important to understand and to know. The, tech, the next two require more action. Third one, doubt leads to discovery. Doubt leads to discovery. I think for a long time we were afraid. If people doubt and if people wrestle, then what if they don't believe anymore? I don't think that's true. 
And the reason I don't think that's true is because I think it, the message of Jesus is true. So I think as you begin to doubt and you begin to wrestle, that you'll begin to see oh, it is true. It is true. And it is worth it. So doubt can help lead to discovery. All three of these men go to Jesus with their doubts. John, someone go ask Jesus if he's the one. Peter says, Jesus, call me. I'm not sure it's you. Call me out. If you call me out, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. And then Thomas says, I- I'm not going to believe it until I see it with my own eyes. So doubt can lead to discovery if you're willing to take the steps. If you're willing to investigate, if you're willing to have difficult conversations with people, if you're willing to be honest, if you're willing to read, if you're willing to study, then I believe that your doubt can lead to discovery. Just a few things I would encourage you to maybe check out. Anything by C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis has some brilliant works, Mere Christianity, The Problem with Pain, The Screwtape Letters. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a man who had periods of his life where he doubted he was an atheist first, and so C.S. Lewis is a great guy uh, to read. Tim Keller, uh, who wrote Reason for God, uh, is another great resource. A guy named Lee Strobel, uh, who also wasn't a Christian, and his doubt actually led him to believe. He began to investigate it. He began to doubt his doubts. And in doubting his doubts, he became a believer and now writes uh, books about it. And so now this is up to you. So I can say it's, it's, you can doubt and that's okay and, and it doesn't disqualify you, but, but don't, just, don't just trust me to help you with all your doubts. Take those steps. Take the initial steps. And then finally, this is probably the most difficult, the fourth thing, is you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out. I have people all the time, I'll invite to, to a service like this, like, well, I got I to gotta figure some things out. You don't. I got to get my life all together. You don't. I have some doubt. That's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out to believe. This is what faith is. This is what faith is. This is what putting our trust in something looks like. Uh, just a, a quick analogy that helps me. Uh, I fly uh, often a couple times a year. I'll fly and I'll get on to a metal box, right? A metal box that is going to fly into the sky and it's going to get me from one destination to the next in a few hours. I know nothing about a plane. Nothing. I now have a, a good friend who's a pilot and uh, we'll meet for lunch often. And all I want to know is about planes and how it all works. And so he tells me it all and I'm fascinated, but I don't, I don't know how it works. But I step onto a plane and in stepping onto the plane, even though I don't understand it all, although I don't know how it works, I have put my trust in that thing. I've put my trust in that thing. And I believe that it's going to come through. I hope. <laughs> I hope that it's going to come through. We don't, we don't have to have it all figured out. That your faith is this long journey. It's not something that you've got to know right now. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is faith that we're going to begin to trust in those things that we're hoping for and the things that we do not see. Very last thing, I, I want to leave you with this. Uh, Mark 9, 21 through 25. This will be our, our benediction. Mark 9, 21 through 25. There's a, a young boy who is uh, possessed, and the disciples have been trying to help him and haven't been able to, and so he ends up making his way to Jesus. Mark 9, 21, it says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? 
from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Here's a man who says, I believe, but I don't believe. I believe, but I have, I have doubt. So God, would you look at the belief that I have? I'm going to hold tightly to the belief that I know is true. But, but then there's some things that I'm struggling with. God, would you help my unbelief? Will you help my unbelief? And again, Jesus doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, well, when you come back and you fully believe, I'll help your boy. He helps his unbelief by saving his son. So would you this week, maybe this is your prayer, I believe, would you help my unbelief? I believe, would you help my unbelief? I believe, will you help my unbelief? Would you pray with me? God, thanks for today. Uh, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to, to deal with our doubt in, in a good way? God, I, I pray for my friends here today who are drowning in their doubt. Um, I, I, I pray that you would rescue them. I pray that they would deal with their doubt. I pray that they would understand that it could lead to discovering more about you. God, would you have mercy on us as we doubt? Would you have grace on us as we doubt? Would you be patient on us, uh, for us when we doubt? God, and, and in the end, would you draw us near to you? Would you help us to come to you with those doubts? Would you help us to do the hard work to, to figure those things out? And in the end, when we still have those areas where we don't believe, God, would you help our unbelief? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.